just to uh, make this point, usually we have one passage of Scripture which we look at, and then the, the next week look at the, the following passage of Scripture. So today is a little bit different because we're looking at a subject. The subject is prayer, and the particular angle on the subject is what do we do at the end of a week of prayer such as we've had. So I'll just recap uh, what we talked about last time. We said, why should we pray? Why set aside a special week to pray together as a Christian church in Brighton? Why have a special time? Why be together? And we tried to answer that by thinking together about what prayer is. Roughly speaking, it's talking to God, but there's more to it than that. So we asked, why pray? Is it a right, a good thing, a meaningful thing, a valuable thing, or is it just fairly pointless? And we got to the answer that uh, the sovereign personal God amazingly invites his people to be aligned with him in his ways and to be in on the act of prayer, even as he has, re- uh, in on the act by praying. The things that he's going to do, he wants us to be part of them as we pray. And he has, uh, even as he has revealed his plans and purposes to us. So the definition of prayer is in itself a sort of invitation to be part of it. So Christian prayer is the privilege of being brought in on the processes, the plans, and the purposes of the Almighty. Brought within the implementation, the working out of those plans, even within, you could almost say, even within the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We pray to God as our Heavenly Father through the ministry and merit of Jesus Christ in the influence of the Holy Spirit. And we come in a father-child relationship Uh, Jesus said, didn't he, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Uh, And he says, "You, even though you're evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the heavenly father give good gifts to his children? Prayer, we come in repentance and we come in faith. And we are involved with the actual fulfillment of the mysteriously revealed will of God. And this is just such a superlatively high privilege to be part of the fulfillment of God's saving plan on earth. So that was the, uh, the sort of thing we thought about last week as a, an encouragement to prayer and an invitation to prayer. And who wouldn't want to be part of that? Who wouldn't want to be part of that? So I'd like us to think... Uh, what do we do after we've prayed? So I hope this is, I guess this is a little bit more fragmented, but I'll try and uh, make it make spiritual sense. In other words, okay, we've had a week of prayer. Uh, and does that mean, right, that's it, finish that. We can just, we've done everything that God requires. Or to put it very crudely, now that we've handed matters over to him, shall we now do nothing and leave it all to him? You might think that's a bit of a daft idea, but in 1786, William Carey suggested action to take the gospel to the distant nations, and he was at a meeting apparently where a certain Dr. Ryland was, and William Carey said we ought to do something, and uh, Dr. Ryland, in the, this is what it says on the internet, as soon as Dr. Ryland could command sufficient composure to reply, he exclaimed, young man, sit down. When God is pleased to convert the heathen world, he will do it without your help or mine. 
So it's more or less saying, you don't do anything. You pray. It would be blasphemous to try and do anything. So I'd like to ask, what do we do? And I'll give you actually four answers, but one of them is only a sentence. First answer, do nothing. Do nothing and perhaps even completely forget we've had a week of prayer. Answer number one. Answer number two, wait in expectation that God will do something. That's answer number two. Think about that. Number three, act in faith. And number four, I'll hold on to until we get to number four. I'll tell you about that one later. So basically we've got those three possible answers that we'll think of. Uh, what do we do after a week of prayer? Answer one is nothing. Answer two is wait. Answer three is do something. Okay, so we'll just think about under those three headings. But before we get to that, I w- we first the question the first question we need to ask is, did we pray? So let's, let's have a, a, a little bit of that. The first question is, did we pray? Now, what is prayer? Prayer is coming in faith to the Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ, aligned by grace with the purposes of God. So when I say aligned by grace, I mean there is a, a, an expectation that people who pray will mentally be thinking about God and his purposes and will emotionally be caught up with God and his purposes and in terms of the way they live their lives and everything else about them they will want to be aligned with the purposes of God. So that's puts a certain demandingness on the people who pray and as I shall try and say uh, not all prayers are prayers. Not every time that people come to God and say loads of stuff does God say well that was prayer. Sometimes he says that was just I don't know what that was. Just a load of talk. So, it's a proper question. Did we pray? So, here's some answers to that. Uh, So, here's one answer. Oh, dear, I completely forgot it was the week of prayer. Uh, I feel quite embarrassed about it. Or you might say, well, actually, I'm so sorry I was ill that week. Or I was overwhelmed by work. Or the kids were just awful and I couldn't get out. Uh, To which I'm going to say, okay, Uh, you forgot to pray. You weren't able to be part of it. It It's never too late to pray. Never too late to pray. Uh, there's a big sheet here. If you, if you missed that, you photograph that on your phone and you could take it home and pray. Uh, so never too late to pray. And you might say, well, actually, I'm always praying. I just couldn't make it that particular week in any particular way, but the things that you were praying for are always on my heart and mind. I say amen to that. Turn from evil, says Peter, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. God's always listening for the prayers of his people. It doesn't have to be a special week. We can have a special week. But all the time, God's ears are open to, his, uh, to the uh, cries of his people. And it is still what the Bible would say, the day, the period, the age of grace, meaning we haven't got to the day of judgment yet. This is the time where God is uh, patient, willing for sinners to come to him, willing for prayers to be made, uh, and uh, we certainly haven't finished praying. So there's answer to number one. I'm so sorry I forgot. Okay, well, we just pray, and we'll keep on praying. Answer number two, and I, I, I preface this by saying again, I don't, want, I don't think the Bible will let me say that every words, every set of words addressed to him, God will, will, will promise to hear them. 
James, and I'm not sure whether I've got this reference a little bit further on. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what James says. This is going to go down over here. Uh, I might be repeating myself. I can't remember whether I put this in later as well. But James says, uh, When you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. So there, there are prayers that are just prayed and not really lived, not really um, where you're at. You're sort of in several different places in your life, and prayer is just one incidental part of it. And the Bible doesn't give any, any uh, encouragement that God hears prayers like that. It, it, it specifically says, that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. Uh, Isaiah, you remember in, I think it's in chapter 1, condemns the people in his generation and he says, even though you spread out your hands to pray, I will not listen because your hands are full of blood. A severely inconsistent life. God says, I'm not going to hear that sort of prayer. And you remember Jesus uh, with the Pharisees. He says, don't don't pray like the Pharisees. They're just praying to show off. I won't hear that sort of prayer. So here's a second answer, and this is, uh, I'm, 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 I thought a lot about this. This is a bit harsh, actually, but I, I think it needs to be said. So here is somebody who says in their heart, perhaps they wouldn't say it out loud, to be honest, I couldn't be bothered to pray. To be honest, I couldn't be bothered to pray. I had better things to do and prayer is a big waste of time. And I want to say that is a disturbingly revealing answer. Because what it's saying is, God made promises about prayer, but I just don't believe them. God invites people to prayer, but I couldn't be bothered to take him up on this invitation. God says, this is all about my kingdom, my glory. That's what I want you to be praying about. And somebody who says, I can't be bothered to to pray, is saying, I'm not actually concerned about the kingdom of God. And uh, it might even be saying, I don't think God's that interested in Calvary Church and stuff like that. Well, These are revealing thoughts. And what they're actually saying is you can't be that bothered about God. And let's be extremely blunt about this. On the day of judgment, what makes you think God will be bothered about you? Honestly, if you can't be bothered about God, what on earth makes you think on the day of judgment he'll be bothered about you? Jesus once said, whoever's ashamed of me in my words in this day, in this generation, I will be ashamed of him before my Father in heaven when I come. And honestly, it's a revealing thing, isn't it? If you can't be bothered, how do you expect God to be bothered about you? That was answer number two. I hope it doesn't apply to anybody, but I need to say it. Answer number three. I did pray. 
I couldn't come to all the meetings. And I am vexed by my sins. I constantly need God's forgiveness. Constantly need the help of the Holy Spirit. I came to pray. Would God hear prayers like that? Did I pray? To which I think the right response from the Bible is, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Jesus tells the story of the man who came, the two men who came to pray actually, came to the temple to pray. The Pharisee, who wasn't troubled like this, who says, I thank you God, I'm a really good guy. And the other person says, I'm coming to you, Lord. Sorry, that's going to fall. I'm coming to you. But God have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, the person who went home right with God, favoured by God, God was with that person, was the second one. So I want to encourage the humble, penitent, praying Christian. Those are the prayers that God hears. And I want to say, many of us did come to pray on the mornings and the evenings. Wednesday, which is our normal prayer prayer night, we had a good number of people. And it was good to be together. It was good to pray. The times we had, we weren't just sort of stuck for anything to say and nobody prayed and it was all rather embarrassing. We prayed. And God enabled us to bring to him the matters that are concerning us, the matters about his kingdom. We prayed on Monday for the spread of his word. We prayed for fruit in his kingdom, fruit from the Lord Jesus. We prayed for workers in his harvest. We prayed for the people of God. And we prayed for the future. And I think we can honestly say we prayed as sinners saved by grace, but we prayed with a genuine measure of faith in God's promises. We prayed genuinely turning to him in repentance. We prayed genuinely grateful for what he's done in the past and genuinely depending on him rather than ourselves. I think we can say we prayed. First question, did we pray? And I believe that the honest answer is, yes, we did. We prayed. So, that was important to get that straight, first of all. So what do we do after we've prayed? So here's, here's some three possible, possible answers to that. Nothing. And I added, and just forget it as if it never happened. Now this is, I'll just take a positive spin on that, first of all. There are surely some cases where we pray and there is nothing else we can do. So I'm just thinking we pray, we're told to pray for our leaders, aren't we? What what can we do? Um, Go around and see them? Well, we can't do that. I suppose we could write them a letter. But uh, there's not a lot we can do. We pray for our leaders. When Daniel prayed for the return from exile, I I was struggling to think, did he do anything? I, I can't think he did. He just kept on praying. But so... Positively, there's some sense in which there's nothing else we can do. But I think to say nothing and then forget as if it never happened is a deeply unsatisfactory answer, actually. Doing nothing is... There are a few cases where that's, that's, that's all you can do. I'm thinking of the parable of the talents. Do you remember the, the story of the talents hidden in the ground? Let me look at, just look it up so I can have it in front of my eye. 
It's in, in Matthew 25, where uh, the master gives, he's going on a journey, he gives his servants money uh, according to their ability, he gives them the potential that this money represents, and then he, he leaves them and comes back to see what they've done. And they do different things with the different amounts of money, but there's one of them who does nothing. Uh, and uh, he says in uh, Matthew 25, 24, the man who received one talent came. Master, he said, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. I was afraid and I went out and I hid your talent in the ground and I just got it back. I've done nothing with it apart from hide it and keep it. He did nothing. And the, the, in this parable, there's a, a surprisingly negative view of doing nothing in this case because the master says, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew I harvest where I had not sown, gathered where I had not scattered seed. Well, at least you should have done something with it. But uh, you are worthless, uh, verse 30. Throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So I was doing nothing is a dangerous thing in the kingdom. Failure to invest in heavenly things, given the investment climate, given the possibilities of this current age, seen by God as a very wicked thing. That's surprising, isn't it? So I'm going to be quite... uh, uh, I want to distance myself, and I hope we would want to distance ourselves from the idea of simply doing nothing and forgetting all about it. Completely forgetting? Well, yeah, we do forget things, don't we? I can't always remember people's names. And uh, some people forget their wedding anniversaries and birthdays, even though they, they do consider them important. But God values not just a one-off prayer. Well, there are some prayers that are one-off, but one-off and forget as if it had never happened. Actually, God values persistence in prayer. Did you notice that in the reading that Maria read? Uh, The person who persists and and comes back. Ask, meaning ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on looking. Knock and keep on knocking. Those are the sort of prayers that God answers. So just doing nothing and forgetting is not the way. And God has attached immensely strong promises to prayer. And it would be deeply disrespectful to cynically treat those promises as empty. So John 15, 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you wish and it will be given you. It's a very comprehensive and powerful promise. If you're aligned with me, abiding in me, you ask stuff, it will be given you. John 15, 16 uh, said to the apostles, obviously, I chose you to bear fruit. And the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. You're going to bear fruit, but you do it through praying. And you will get answers to prayer. And uh, chapter 16, I can't can't put the verse, have I? Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. So there are these powerful promises attached to prayer. Did you notice in the 1 Kings 18, it was about answering uh, the God who answers, that's God. And they say to Baal, answer, and there's no answer. And then 
Elijah prays, answer me, and God answers. So I think if you have a prayer answering God, the idea of praying and then forgetting about it just seems enormously disrespectful. So let's take answer number one. We do nothing, completely forget it. Let's distance ourselves from that. That's not a, a, in the way I've described it, it's not an adequate answer. Number two, simply wait in expectation. Simply wait in expectation. So I think there's some good things about this answer. Whoops. There's some good things about this answer. Isaiah 40 talks about waiting on the Lord. Isaiah 40 says, those who wait upon the Lord or wait for the Lord, or perhaps your translation will be trust in the Lord, or hope in the Lord, will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So they wait. So there's a right sense of waiting There's a verse in the prophet Habakkuk where he says, having made a complaint to God, he says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me. So Habakkuk says, I've prayed. Right, I'm going to wait and see what the answer is. I think as a church, we have prayed. And there's a sense that we now start looking to see what the answer will be. In the, in, the, uh, in the story that Mark read to us about Elijah, do you remember at the end he prays? He's actually praying for rain, isn't he? And he says, go and go to it's his servant, go and look out to see. Can you see an answer coming? And there's nothing there. And he says, okay. And he prays. And he goes back and says, can you see anything out to sea? Anything, clouds, anything like that? No. And then the seventh time he goes, I can see a little tiny cloud as big as a man's hand rising out of the sea. And Elijah says, right, that's it. Get ready. Umbrellas out. uh, Waterproof clothing on because it's jolly well going to rain. So there's a waiting and looking. And I want to encourage us. We've prayed. We're going to continue to pray. But there's a sense of having prayed, we can be looking. Now then, what will God do? What, what's, what, what's the answer that we will get? How will he respond to the issues that we've laid before him, the, uh, the needs we've laid before him? Let me just be, be quite clear about needs. Uh, we have three elders. Uh, one elder has a cancer diagnosis and originally that would give him another 18 months to live. Uh, this elder is looking, uh, looking at the calendar and thinking in the next year, couple of years, I ought to be stepping back. Uh, don't want to leave Ben all by himself trying to enlarge the church and build the church. We've got churches that we're praying for. Two, if we're very blunt, are on the verge of extinction. And if you look in our city, we've got tens of thousands of people who don't have near them witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think those are needs and situations we should be concerned for. 
And if we can't pray about those things, I don't know what we can pray about. We've prayed. We will continue to pray. And we want to look to the Lord. What will the answer be? There's dangers of going ahead without waiting. 1 Samuel 13 is uh, when Saul, King Saul, was told to wait. But he went, got ahead of himself and he started offering sacrifice when he was told to wait for Samuel to do it. So there's dangers of going ahead without waiting. There's certainly dangers of going ahead without praying. So there's an example in Joshua 9 of the Gibeonites. Do you remember this story? Joshua was told, make no treaty with nearby tribes. You shouldn't be at peace with them. And there was a nearby tribe called the Gibeonites. They, knew, they wanted to be in a treaty. They'd only be safe if they got in a treaty. Uh, and what they did was they disguised themselves and they disguised uh, their transport. They put mouldy bread in their bags and mouldy old cheese in their bags and uh, manky water in their water bottles. And they went round the corner and they said, oh, we've come from miles away. Oh, it's taken us so long to get here. Can we have a treaty with you? And it says, I mean, listen, the, uh, Joshua and his lot made a decision. Uh, let me quote it to you exactly. They said, where, where, where are you? Who are you? Where do you come from? And they said, oh, miles away. You can easily make a treaty with us. It's not a problem for you. And it says in 9.14, the men of Israel sampled their provisions but did not inquire of the Lord yeah? they took a look at the situation but they didn't ask the Lord so there's danger of going ahead without praying wait and see what God will do so we've prayed about the spread of his word and the sense we can wait and see now what will God do for the spreading of his word it would be wonderful if God's word spread so that in this uh, Retirement home, there's a Bible study, which there wasn't two years ago, and there's another Bible study over here. And in this place of work, there's a Christian union where people are talking about the Lord. And in this place where it was so hostile to the Lord, a few people are getting together to pray and talk about the Lord. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the word of God was spreading like this? Um, and so we prayed about that. And we prayed about fruit. And wouldn't it be wonderful when the seed is sown for it, not just to go dead and get choked, but to pop up and bear fruit, some, what is it, 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. We've prayed about that. Let's, let's see what God will do. We prayed about laborers in the harvest. We pray, we're told to pray, send laborers into the harvest. We've asked the Lord, things need doing, people are, are needed to do it. Will you provide such people? We've been thankful for what God has provided in our church here in answer to prayer over, uh, over recent years, and indeed over past years. We're praying, Lord, there is a need that we can see coming up. Let's look and see what God will do about that. We've prayed. Uh, we wait in expectation. We prayed about the people of God. Some people have got deep problems. We ask, Lord, liberate them from those. Let's see... Uh, a new thing happening. We've, oh, well, we've, we've prayed about the people of God and we've prayed about the future. So there's a, a song, I Know Who Holds the Future. 
He'll guide me with his hand. With God, things don't just happen. Everything by him is planned. So as I face tomorrow with its problems large and small, I'll trust the God of miracles. Give to him my all. And uh, God enabled us to lay before him a number of things about the future, and they're in his hands. So we wait and see. What will he do? But I wonder, that's not the only answer. So the, it's not the only answer to say, well, just sit back and wait now. Would you like to turn to Exodus 14? Because I'm struck by this one. Exodus 14. This is when the Israelites were escaping from Egypt. And they've got out, but they're now sort of on the loose. They haven't yet crossed the Red Sea. They don't know, the Red Sea's in front of them and the army of Pharaoh has decided to chase after them and everything is panic and chaos. Uh, Exodus 14, verse 11, they, they, uh, well, verse 10, the Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, this is sarcasm, this, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us into the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. And Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, just wait. Stand firm and you will see the salvation the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you, you need only stand still. So he says, okay, just wait, stand still. No, I, I haven't looked this up or thought about it, but it seems interesting. Verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. And I, I'm just wondering whether there's a progress there that Moses said, just step, calm down, calm down. Wait and see what God will do. And God says, well, actually... There's a bit more to it than waiting. I want you to go forward. What? Yeah, go forward. Um, God says to Moses, move on. And there's, in a sense, a time to, to stop praying and to move on. Why are you crying to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. And just before we finish thinking about this answer, let me say that prayer very often takes place in the rhythm of life. So although we've had a week of prayer... Uh, and we won't most likely have a week of prayer for, another, for some months to come. But generally speaking, prayer and action are sort of hand in hand uh, through the course even of a day. So I'm, I'm thinking that Jesus seemed to imply that daily prayer was part of daily life. So as he says in the prayer that he taught us, give us this day our daily bread. So I, do you, do you follow? That seems to me to say, that's for today, and tomorrow you'll pray that again. And then the next day, you don't say, um, it's nearly October, Lord, will you give us the bread for October? Or uh, 2020, just give us the bread for today. There seems to be a rhythm, I'm praying, and then I'm working, and I'm praying, and I'm working, and as, as the day goes by, and as the days go by, that's the way it is. Presumably, Jesus assumed that as you prayed, give us today our daily bread, that 
there would be a farmer growing the wheat and there would be somebody chopping it down in due season and there would certainly be somebody in the home grinding it and there would certainly be somebody, um, whatever you do to bread, kneading and putting it in the oven and baking it. And so there's a process that's going on along with prayer. And it isn't we have a week of prayer and then we have a week of cooking then we have a week of prayer. It sort of all goes on together. Jesus mixed prayer in with his other activities. Do you like to look at this, please? Luke chapter 3. It's quite striking. So Luke chapter 3, verse 21. And what Luke does, he picks up a, a number of incidents that we will know about. We know these things happened. But he will say... With each of these incidents, actually Jesus was praying when this happened. The other gospel writers don't necessarily tell us that. So Luke 3.21, when all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. Well, we knew that. And as he was praying, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. The other gospels don't tell us that. He was doing stuff. He was praying. It all... Uh, melded, can I say that word, together. Uh, 5.16. So as the news about him spread all the more, the crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. So he's doing lots of stuff. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I didn't know that. He often said, okay, I'm being very busy, I'm just going to stop for a bit, and I'm going to go and I need to pray. Then I'll come back and be busy. So there's a sort of rhythm of praying and action. If the Lord Jesus needed that, I mean, how right it is for us. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, Luke 6, 12. This is the uh, choosing the apostles. Now, we know that he chose the apostles. Luke 6, 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. I'm fascinated to know what Jesus prayed. How did he pray? What did he say? Did he say, Heavenly Father? I'm thinking about that chap, Peter. He's rather impulsive. Do you think he's the right guy? What do you see of his potential? I see potential in him. You know, what, what did he pray? But he... he, he he spent all night praying about these people. Lord, I can see the problems they're going to run into. There's going to be a time when I'm walking on water and if I choose Peter, he'll be there and he's going to sink. What should we do about that? And anyway, I, I'm speculating, but he, uh, Jesus prayed. 9.18. 9.18. Is that the right one? No, it's 9.28. Put the wrong... No, oh, 9.18. Yeah, no, 9.18 was right, 9.18 was right. So this is where Jesus says, who do the crowds say that I am? We knew he said that, but in, uh, in Luke he says, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? It's interesting, isn't it? This conversation, Jesus was praying and his disciples saying, interrupted him, excuse me, uh, and, uh, and he says, who do the crowds say that I am? He was praying. 9.28, this is the Mount of Transfiguration. Well, we knew about that. We knew there was a Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus was sort of, his glory was revealed. Um, 
temporarily, momentarily. But, we, but it says, 9.28, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was changed. We didn't know that. He was praying. Well, there's, there's various uh, texts like this. 11, verse 4, of course. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. They asked to be taught to pray because they overheard Jesus praying. He did stuff, he prayed. He did stuff, he prayed. He did stuff, he prayed. He didn't just wait. A beautiful intertwining of prayer and faith and action, which is going to lead us on to the next thing. So, brothers and sisters, we've prayed as a church. I believe we've prayed. And we look, what will the Lord do in answer to these prayers? And we want to keep on praying and intertwine action and prayer like our Saviour did. A rhythm of waiting and working. Answer number three, act in faith. So shall we act in faith? I think there's something quite profound here about the way the Heavenly Father, what his intention is towards the people that he saves, His intention is to bring us into a relationship with him where we share with him in understanding his heart and mind and being involved in his business. Do you remember the Lord Jesus when he was a little child? They went off on that trip to Jerusalem and he got lost on the way back and they said, where is he? I thought he was with you. No, I thought he was with you. And he said, oh, well, they found him in the temple, and he said, didn't you know I would be about my father's business? Because that's what a son does. A son is in his father's business. And God brings us, as his sons and daughters, into his, into his business. I've got a, an example here. I think it's worth looking at. Uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 2. It's about bringing people in on the action. Let me try and depict it as uh, succinctly as I can. Acts 10, verse 2. This is about Cornelius, the centurion. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. Acts 10, 2. He gave generously to those in need and he prayed to God regularly. So he's a man of prayer. And... He has, three in the afternoon, verse three, uh, a vision, uh, an angel of God who says to him, Cornelius, and Cornelius says, what is it, Lord? And the angel said, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man called Simon, called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner in a house by the sea. So the angel comes to Cornelius and says, you need Peter. You need to go and get Peter. They were praying. He was praying, and he says, you need to get Peter. So off we go now to find out about Peter. So uh, in Acts 10, verse 9, Peter himself is praying. About noon the following day, as these messengers are on their journey, Peter went up on the roof to pray. And he has this vision of a sort of sheet thing full of unclean animals. And the voice, verse 13, says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. 
And Peter says, no, it's not kosher. I couldn't eat that stuff. And the Lord says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happens three times. So interestingly, God sends an angel to Cornelius, okay? And then God speaks in a vision to Peter. So God is well able to communicate to these people in that way. But the, 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 in, the significance of it is that he wants Peter and Cornelius to get together. So Peter's, verse 17, wondering about the meaning of the vision. And the visitors arrive and they say, we want you to come to this Italian this Cornelius the centurion uh, and so Peter says ah I understand I need to go so off he goes to Caesarea that's in verse 24 and Cornelius explains in verse 30 that he was praying and the prayer said you need to get Peter here and then in verse 34 Peter speaks and he explains the good news of Jesus Christ Uh, he explains that in sufficient length and they become believers. So it's a wonderful story, but the the bit I'm trying to get at is, why don't you think the angel just told Cornelius straight away? Why do you think the angel... So there's Cornelius praying, and the angel says to Cornelius, get Peter. Why doesn't the angel say, oh, I can explain the gospel to you. I could tell you something about Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. I could tell you that. Save all the messing about, wouldn't it? But... That's not the way God does it. He wants to do it through Peter. He wants Peter to get it into his head about how God uh, loves the Gentiles. And he wants Peter to go, and he wants Peter to be involved in spreading this message. He wants human Peter to be part of the action. And you say, God, okay, we prayed. Why doesn't God just save people? He could do that, bang, 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 zap, zap, zap. But actually God says, well, I, I've got, I want you to be involved with this. I'm not going to go zap, zap, zap. I'm going to go conversation, conversation, conversation. So there's, uh, God brings us into the act, not only in praying, but in doing. And he might even say that Peter found himself the answer to his own prayer. I don't know what he was praying about up on the roof. Lord, will you save these, pardon me, these unclean Italians? Was he praying that? And God says, okay, well, you can go and be part of that. We may even find that God sends us in answer to the prayers we prayed this past week. So what do we do? Do we act? And I think action is part of our response to a week of prayer. I've got a couple of subheadings. So number one, to act in wise faith. And I want to bring in here the thought of wisdom. Wisdom is a proper object of prayer. So James says, this is the quote that I wasn't sure I had. The end bit here is about the prayers that God won't answer. But the top bit, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given him. I just want to stop on wisdom. What is wisdom? A good definition that I heard, I think it's from Jim Packer in one of his books that I read, something like this. The ability to discern a good goal and plan steps by God's grace so that it will happen. 
wisdom to see a good end, a good end result. It would be great to see, um, you know, such and such a church with such and such elders, such and such deacons, such and such plans being being put into effect. Da 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 da. Wisdom to to see a good. That would be a good goal, and then steps to make it happen. Well, that's not going to happen without. Hmm, well, that person's going to need a contract. So uh, let's think about a contract. And those people are going to need voting for. So how, how, who's going to do the voting? Uh, those people are going to need financial support. So wh- where does that financial support come from? Da-da-da, etc. like that. To plan in wise faith. See, Praying is not the opposite of planning. Praying goes hand in hand with planning. Praying is not the opposite of action. Plan- Praying goes hand in hand with action. To plan in wise faith. It seems to me that a truly praying church will be a church that forms wise plans and embarks on paths of wisdom. So this would be a wonderful goal. What can we do to, to attempt that? Such and such would be a wonderful thing to aim at. How could we take steps to that? So, for example, we've prayed, and now we need to put our, to put our advertisement for the future ministry. We need to act we have prayed, we need to act, we need to plan in wise faith uh, and to act in faith. To act in dependent faith. So this is just spill, uh, spinning this out a little bit. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So he does mention nothing. It says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. But what it does say is, with me, you can bear fruit. Depending on him, without you, we can do nothing, Lord, but depending on you, with you, there is fruit to be born. Acting in dependent, in, space, dependent, space, faith. Acting in, dependent, faith. Without Christ we can do nothing, I meaning to say nothing useful, nothing of abiding value, nothing eternal. But with him, he says, his, his purpose is for Christians to produce fruit. So depending on him, we can endeavor and expend our energies and put ourselves out and, and do stuff and be fruitful. So you could ask, ah, how can I get that opportunity to tell my neighbour about Jesus? Big thing to pray and then act in dependent faith. What could I do this week that I can get an opportunity to tell my neighbour about Jesus? So that was uh, the first question. The first answer was, what should we do? Answer, nothing. Don't think that's a satisfactory answer. Waiting? Yeah. Waiting to see what God will do. But thirdly, acting. Depending on the Lord Jesus Christ, acting in faith. And then there was the fourth answer, which I said was just a sentence. What should we do after we've had a week of prayer? Keep praying. (laughs) So just a footnote here. Um, So ladies and gentlemen, I don't know you all, some of you, uh, perhaps have come along and you're a bit surprised what they're on about. This is a week of prayer that we've had. And uh, as Christians, our conviction is that prayer is being involved 
in the purposes of the God who made everything, and that is the most important thing any human being can ever be, can do. The plan of this God is the big thing that is happening in the world. It is the reason the world still exists. If God's plan had come to its fulfillment, God would say, that's it, finished. The reason the world still exists because there are more people to be saved and more work to be done. And if you are sort of thinking about this from the outside, I would like to encourage you, don't stay on the outside of this. This is the plan to be on the inside of, part of it, not spectator or, worse still, sort of going in the opposite direction. Don't let yourself stay on the outside of God's plan. Jesus Christ is the one who will personally escort you into the heart of the plans of God. He's the one who can do that. You need to have a good chat with him. You need to have a real good talk with the Lord Jesus. Say to him, I would love to be on the inside of those plans. Show me how to do it. And that's something for another sermon, but he's the one to go to. We're going to close by singing uh, number 500.